0: Acts chapter 26, starting verse 12. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O King, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen, all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said to me, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes, so that they may turn from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins, and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether a short, short or long I would to God, that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king rose, and the governor, and the governor and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them, And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, This man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. This is God's word. You may be seated.
1: Well, first off, it is a wonderful privilege to be back here with you, to be a witness here with you. We are witnesses together And I have the privilege of being your pastor, which is something that I hold so dearly and take so seriously, but at the same time is really a joy and a joy that the Holy Spirit is with me and helping me and helping us together to be witnesses in the place that God has called us to be. And so with the Apostle Paul, the story of the Apostle Paul that the author Luke is conveying is that Paul was called by Christ and for Christ, right? Paul was called by Christ and for Christ. And here's the thing about the apostle Paul and the thing about you and I today. You are called, if you are a Christian, if you are one who has believed that Jesus Christ is your savior, your Lord, your forgiver, your leader, you are called by Christ and for Christ, you are his witness for, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You are his witness. You are called by Christ and for Christ. Now, I think where we kind of go wrong in, in our understanding of the calling of Christ is that we think it's for the spiritual elite among us, we think it's for the pastor. We think it's for the missionary. We think it's for someone who is trying to do the big thing for God. The thing that they're banking their whole life on for the Lord. But in reality, everyone is banking their whole life on something. And I want to ask you this. Are you doing it for the Lord? Is your Are you living out the call that God has upon your life? Um, let me get... Kind of just, I want to simplify this idea of calling um, by just using my life as a as a picture of this. Um, I knew that God had called me to honor my father and mother. I knew that that's part of my calling. I mean, it's part of the Ten Commandments. I'm going to live that out. That's what God calls His believers to do. Not only calls, He commands it. He says, "Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land." That the Lord, your God, is giving to you. So I I always knew that call. and, And while my dad was alive, that call was something that I found rather easy because my dad loved me so well. Uh, he, he loved us so well, and he gave his life to us so sacrificially, and it was not really burdensome. I mean, there were times where I'm just a kid, and I'm a rebel, and I'm being dumb, and it's just like, come on, man. Get back in line and start following what your dad and mom say, right? I mean, we've all been there, haven't we? If you're not, you're not li- living and breathing, okay? You've all struggled with that. But but there was something that allowed me to 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 walk in that by trusting my father that he knew what was best for me and so I would, I would walk in obedience to him. And as I grew older, that command didn't always carry the same amount of, of significance in terms of, you know, take out the garbage or uh, stop annoying your sister or some of those other things, but, but it began to, to shift as I grew into different ways. Honor your father and mother and I, I truly have cherished them both and I do to this day. And now my call... And if you have, have lost a parent, you've understood this call, or you lost someone dear to you, the call changes over time. Now that calling means that I am called to stand for my mom in a different way than I ever ha- have. I am to be her protector, to make sure that she has been cared for. And so you have allowed me, church. You've allowed me to do that over the last month, and I want to say thank you for that. Uh, we were able to get Dad's business under contract last Wednesday. I mean, I, I never thought it would be so difficult, but we got it done. It's not done yet. Continue to pray for it. It's kind of like closing on a house. You got to, like, get the inspector in. There's a due diligence period and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's, it's really been refreshing that you have allowed me to step out of this calling And to step into that calling, and now I'm stepping into both, and I'm saying thank you. As your pastor, thank you. And I am also saying I am so excited about our days ahead. And I really do believe that part of me honoring you as your pastor is to honor my mother. And I believe that part of honoring my mother is part of honoring you as your pastor. And those two things don't come against each other. But it's part of the beautiful calling that we're all in you've got a part of your calling that you're in today. And so one of the things that kind of gets us, I think a lot of, a lot of life can be illustrated with this little contraption right here. Uh, anybody know what this is? It's Chinese finger trap, right? Yes, you you can get them at a kid's birthday party in the goodie bag when you go home, maybe when you smash open the pinata, Um, or you can buy like a 1,000 of them for 10 bucks on Oriental Trading Company website. So um, this is a Chinese finger trap, and I I think lots of life can be illustrated with this, in calling can too, because let's just be honest about our calling today. It gets tough, doesn't it? It gets really difficult. Your calling, I know, I don't know the ins and outs of your life, But I know your calling is really difficult. I know it. Because we live in a sinful, lost, and broken world. And hello, we also are a sinful, broken people who need God's mercy. And so that calling is hard, isn't it? Like to live the call of God in your family, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in a place that is devoid of the knowledge of God. And here you are To bring light into that darkness. And it's a lot easier said than done, isn't it? But what happens is we get into this kind of Chinese finger trap contraption. And we've got one of two options. And typically we we choose number two is we get out. Come on, like get out. And what happens? It feels restraining. It feels tightening. It feels like we are in chains like never before. And we feel trapped. While we're trying to run away from that calling. And the question of the Christian calling is this. Will you press in or will you pull away? Will you press in to the God who loves you and cares for you and has called you? Or will you run away from him? And I'm convinced this is where many Christians go wrong. If I can get out of this thing. (laughs) I'm convinced they make this for five-year-olds, by the way. Um, I'm convinced this is where many Christians go wrong, is we run. We run away. We don't really believe that God loves us and cares for us. We don't really believe that even though the circumstance and the storm may be raging around us, that he is our refuge. We don't really believe that even if the worst thing could happen to us, death, Everything's going to be okay because Jesus rose again. We don't really believe those things. And so I'm here to tell you that I'm right smack dab in the middle of your struggle as well. And let's believe together, right? I'm going to pray for that. Father, help us. Help us in our unbelief. Help us believe more deeply in the truth of the cross and the resurrection. And God, help us press into this calling that you have for us Today, by the power of your Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, the church says together, amen. So this sermon is broken down into three parts. We're going to unpack this story from the Apostle Paul in three different uh, sections. Number one is just simply the calling. Uh, That's really the the big idea, but we're going to see that illustrated through the life and calling of the Apostle Paul. Number two is the craziness. There is craziness, the accusation from Festus to the Apostle Paul to where he says, You're insane, Paul. You're absolutely insane. I'm going to unpack to you why we're insane together, okay? Number three is the chains. Paul is in chains, convincing the people who are in judgment over him, ironically enough, that he's the freedman and that they should be in the place of him but without the chains. It's a powerful powerful and moving illustration of the call and the confidence that God has upon our life when we follow that call. So let's pick it up here at verse 12. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun and shone around me And those who journeyed with me, and when we did all fall into the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for, you, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things which you have seen and those in which I will appear to you, delivering from your pe- you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from the darkness to the light and, find, and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So what Paul is saying when he's illustrating this calling that Christ has on his life is that he told him this was going to happen. Jesus said to Paul, this is going to happen. You are going to need to be delivered from your people And from the Gentiles, that—that's pretty much everybody in the known world at that period of time. It is from his own people, the Jews, and from the Gentiles, which includes the Romans. It includes those of non-Jewish lineage. Paul says, "I'm going to deliver you from those people, but I'm also going to deliver you to those people so they could be delivered from darkness into light, from death into life, from Satan to God." I mean, isn't that powerful? Like, so 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 listen here, friends, you're you're going to work tomorrow and you have a calling and you're going to clock in and clock out or maybe you're going to send in your time card or maybe you're just going to put in your time or you've got these meetings scheduled listen friends I'm telling you that when Christ calls you to himself he also calls you to the high calling of ministering the hope of the gospel to people who are in darkness people who are in the grip of the hands of Satan so they might be delivered to the open hands of love of Christ that that's your calling that's like Paul You have that calling. I have that calling. And I want us to see how courageously and how confidently the Apostle Paul walked into that. If you look back at Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 24, he says this, And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, like God's Holy Spirit is leading them there into Jerusalem, Not knowing what will happen to me there. How many of that's true for our lives? We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen next week. We don't know what's going to happen next year. Not knowing what will happen to me there. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await from me. Hello, Chinese finger trap. Let's get out of here right now. No, no. Here's Paul's words. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's a confidence that he has. Even though imprisonment and affliction awaits him, he says, I don't count my life of any value nor is precious to myself. Like there's a real important principle that you can have for life is that the more loosely you hold on to your life, the more valuable it is to God and others. The more loosely you hold on to the preciousness of your life, the more precious it actually becomes. That's the ironic thing about this thing called Christianity, the upside down life, is it just doesn't make sense. It's the less tightly you hold on to it the more valuable it becomes in the hand of the one who's in control of all things to begin with and the one who's taking care of you and watching you every step of the way and will never leave you nor forsake you or leave you alone because he left Christ alone and he's never doing it again to one of his children ever because he did it with Christ that's the truth and so you can walk confidently And saying, my calling is not about me. It's about King Jesus. My calling is not about me. So we saw, as last week, Pastor Josiah preached, and we saw this calling come to fruition. And there was a prophecy by a man named Agabus who took the belt of Paul. And he illustrated this example that he said, the man who wears this belt is the man who's 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 going to be bound by chains and imprisoned. And the whole people, the friends, the elders, the people that were in Ephesus at the time period, Luke himself tried to persuade Paul, don't go, don't go, don't go. And then Paul answered, Acts 21, verse 13, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Can we get out of the small pictures of our lives and get into the big idea in which God wants for us? And then as that your life belongs to Christ. It's not scary, it's freedom. Your life belongs to Christ. And the Holy Spirit is leading us there. To see that and the cross of Christ shows us you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. So Paul says, glorify God in your bodies. Glorify God in all you do. Whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Giving thanks to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ through him. That's our call. That we would live that out. And so let me give you kind of this, this picture of, of, of where Paul's at um, in this. He, he's been defending himself for the last two years. There was a man named Felix who was the governor of the area he was in, who he stood trial before Felix. And the charges that are against the Apostle Paul is that the Jews are really mad at him. Because he's telling people about the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now, they know that that doesn't really hold a lot of water in the court of law of Rome at that time. Because Rome doesn't really care. And so basically they're saying he's disturbing the peace. He's causing a lot of real problems. And he's dishonoring our temple. And he's dishonoring Caesar by saying that there's another god but Caesar. But, you know, they can't even really say that very well. Because the Jews believe that Caesar wasn't a god. And that the God of the Bible was the God. And so they didn't believe that the God of the, of the Bible was Jesus Christ. And so it was a really, it was, it was really uh, uh, a tricky situation for the Jews to navigate. But it was also a tricky situation for the governors and the magistrates to handle. Because these were their people, right? These were the people that they had to win over. And so you'll read that, that Felix, for example, sought to do them a favor. So when Paul is before the court system of his day, it's not accurate jurisprudence that they're after. It's political correctness. How can I appease my constituents and also appease Rome at the same time? It wasn't a right judgment that they were concerned with. Is how can I make the most people happy and I get out of this alive? Pretty much that was the case. And so Paul stayed in prison for two years because of it. And then when Festus becomes the governor and he gets before his constituents, the Jews, they say, hey, listen, we want to deal with Paul. We want to deal with him. And so now he's back on trial before Festus and he stands in defense. So there's a there's an image that captures this uh, famous painting by a man named Nikolai Bodovarsky. So do we have that painting, by the way, Josiah? Um, Yes. So there is the painting. Now, a little bit about this painting is that these people are far too European than to be Middle Eastern Jews at the time period. So their skin's a lot wider uh, uh, in, uh, in the painting than normally. And Paul would not be that tall. Um, Paul would be a short man, probably balding with a unibrow and uh, have a very contentious look in his eye. The man was ferocious. And so he, he, he probably would have been very passionate in the time. And you see kind of the players there. there there's the who's who's of uh, of the area that are there that have all filed in its pomp and circumstance. Uh, Festus is wearing the uh, the white, and then you have Agrippa in the red, and his sister Bernice. And so, a little bit about Agrippa the second is his name. Is he actually uh, was the grandson of Herod, uh, King Herod? By the way, when he heard of the coming of the Messiah, and it was prophesied, he had all boys under two year old two years old killed in the vicinity of Jerusalem. So, not very much a friend of Christianity. Uh, this man, his granddaddy Herod, was. Um, and then his father, Agrippa the I, um, well, he had James killed, one of the apostles. And he also was ferocious in the persecution of the Christians. And then before Agrippa II became king, his uncle took over for a little bit. And he's the one that had John the Baptist beheaded and head on a platter. So that was his uncle. And so now he's before Agrippa II. And Agrippa II was was not as, as hostile towards Christianity. Um, but he was known from Rome to be kind of the, the, the standard bearer of the knowledge of uh, Judaism, uh, of the people of, uh, of the Jews and the Bible. And so he was the one Rome looked to for all the answers, but he wasn't exactly a good and upright moral character because his sister is sitting next to him, Bernice, and they have a relationship that would today be outlawed in all 50 states of the United States. Maybe a couple, I don't know. There may be a couple where that's not outlawed, but it should be. And so that's the the picture of whom Paul is standing before, a very immoral people. But Paul is stating um, his honor of the court in his honor of who is there. He understands authority and he understands while he's under the authority of God, he is to be a good witness of the ministry of the gospel before them. And so um, Paul gives this argument of his former life. If you read verses one through 11, he talks about who he was as a Pharisee, who he was as a Jew. In Philippians, he summarizes this way circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Whatever whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So so Paul is telling the courts, he's telling the Jews, he's telling the council that surrounds him that he was on a path of life that was very different from the one he's on now. He was on a path of life that was there to destroy Christianity, that was to see it crushed. He stood over Stephen, who was a famous martyr of his day, and gave his approval as he was stoned to death. He says, this was me. This was me. he says, now everything that was in the gain column of life everything that i would have cherished everything that i would have held in high esteem self righteousness obedience to the law what he could do to honor and glorify god in and of his own power and own strength he says i counted it as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing christ that jesus means everything to me right now and the interesting part about it he says this jesus is actually the one that the Old Testament proclaims. He says, I'm being more true to the authority of our fathers than they are. Because if you follow this thing out the way it's supposed to go, you have the promise of a Messiah. And that promise of the Messiah includes him being resurrected from the dead so that people would have life and life to his fullest. All you have to do is read the Old Testament prophets and you see that from Moses to Isaiah to Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all of the prophets tell of this person, Jesus. And so therefore, I am not being disobedient to the law as they claim I am standing for it and I have the resurrection to prove it. That's what he says. And it is so, so powerful to see him stand in defense, and the irony of it is, is Paul actually doesn't seek to defend himself. He doesn't seek to defend himself. He actually seeks to defend the gospel. It's about the message of the gospel. When, when you're with your coworkers, when you're at home with family members who don't know Jesus, when, when you're living your life on an everyday basis and you're around people, or even when you're, with, when you're around people who don't know Christ or who do know Christ, there's a message that's central there. There's something that God wants to do, and he wants to draw people to himself. There isn't a moment in time where that can get away from you, to remind yourself, this isn't about my defense. This isn't about my leisure. This isn't about my comfort. This isn't about my convenience. This is about the message of hope found in the gospel. And God has me around these people at this time, in this place, to enjoy that, to enjoy it. Like, that might sound like a boring life to you. That might sound like, oh man, that's just so boring. Actually, not a whole lot of things change in light of that. Not a whole lot of things change in your life in in regards to that. God has you around the people in your life For a reason and for a purpose. And you can have fun with them. You can enjoy them. You can celebrate the goodness and glory of life. You can have good meals. You can drink responsibly, right? Those are things that you can do and you can enjoy. But you must know that you're around other life for a reason. And that's to show them Christ. And Paul, in the upper echelons of society, understands this truth. And the irony that's there is that while he's the one on trial, while he's the one that's giving a defense, one day all of these people will have to give a defense for their life. And he knows it. And that now has zoomed up the priority list for Paul. It's not about him getting out of this thing alive. It's about him getting out of this thing and seeing most people that he possibly can come to life in Christ. And that's what he's most concerned with. And that's the beauty of the calling. He says, I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and play and a place among those who are sanctified by me. In verse 19, we see the craziness. If you look at verse 19 with me, he says, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and then in Jerusalem throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. So I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets of Moses said would come to pass, that Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Verse 24, and as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, are you out of your mind? That was really what he said. Are you out of your ever loving mind? Mind here, man! Your crazy learning is driving you mad. Two thousand. Let's just fast forward two thousand years later, will you? Just let's just let's just let's just, let's just take a, a road down memory lane. Uh, there is a. There's not much that's changed two thousand years later, because if you follow this thing, Christianity, the way the Bible tells you, it is to be followed. You're crazy. You're absolutely mad. You are nuts. I mean, you're telling me you believe in God of heaven that came down, was born of the virgin Mary that lived a perfect, sinless life, like had no mistakes, had no sins in his life, didn't hurt anybody's feeling in a way that was his fault and really genuinely his problem? Are you telling me that's true? Are you telling me that, that he, he died on the cross for your sins? Like your sins are against the holy God first before anybody else? That's your problem? And that he not only died, but he was buried. And there was no blood com- pumping through his brains. There was no oxygen. There was no oxygen, oxygen going to his brain. And yet, in three days, he rose again by the power of what? The Holy Spirit? You're absolutely insane. This crazy learning is driving you mad. You may have not heard it like that, but that's what people thought about you. And that's what people think about us here today. What, what are they doing going to church in a YMCA gymnasium? Come on now. How is that happening? Is this kind of some kind of cult gathering? I mean, listen, we're talking about a God who died 2,000 years ago and we're worshiping him today as the worthy God and the king who has all authority and power and dominion. It's absolutely insane is what Festus says. And Paul's response to Festus was this. I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true, in rational words. Now that's the confidence in the gospel we need. To look at the world and says that you're foolish and says, yep, I'm foolish because I'm a weak person in need of the gospel. And so I'll be a fool for Jesus any day. This is the most rational explanation of life that I can give you. You know, when my dad died, the thing that helped me and has continued to help me understand death in the way I believe that God has intended it is through the cross. A man named John Stott said, I could never make sense of death apart from the cross. I could never make sense of pain and suffering apart from the cross because how could I worship a God that would be immune to it. Meaning that how could I worship a God who did not enter into humanity? How could I worship a God who did not take on my pains? How could could I ever worship a God who doesn't understand me? And the most logical explanation for life is this truth. That God did come down in human form in a miraculous way. He lived a perfect and sinless life on our behalf. He died a sinner's death on that old Roman cross as a criminal. He was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And for three days, his body laid there. And on that Easter Sunday, the bright light of the Holy Spirit pulsated through his body and he came to life. Everything in him came functioning again and he, King Jesus, defeated death for us. And I said, because of that, my dad's not dead. He's alive and he's with him. I believe that with everything. And if that's not true, then I've wasted my life. It's true. It's true. But if that's not true, then why didn't I just try my hand at becoming a millionaire? I'm a pastor because I believe that to be true. And I believe that this is what God has called me to proclaim. So some may call it insanity. I say, like Paul, this is reality. And there is nothing better than this. As Paul continues um, this argument, actually, I want, I, want to, uh, I want to give you a little glimpse of this from a man named C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis uh, argue, comes against this argument of um, that a lot of people will say Jesus was just a good teacher or a good man. If you want to look at Jesus today, the way most of the world does, they see him as a good historical figure, someone who you should emulate, model your life after. Was he God? No. No, he wasn't. He was just a good man and a good moral teacher. So let's just take it at that. Let's just leave it at that. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people say often about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing... We must not say a man who is merely a man and said the sorts of things that Jesus said would be a great mor- would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man with whom he says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a man madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now, it seems quite obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor fiend and consequently However strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Amen. Either he was a lunatic or worse, he was a corrupt liar who knew what he was saying and did it. Or he is who he says he was. He is who he says he is today. He is Lord of hosts and you should bow down at his feet and worship him. That's the truth. Call me crazy, but that's what I'm doing. And then we see Paul proclaiming this truth with chains on. (laughs) That's where the world would call him crazy. It's going to be difficult to live out your calling. You're going to come against opposition. You might, probably won't, but you might find yourself like the Apostle Paul with chains on. Or maybe you'll lose your job maybe you'll lose some friends or maybe your family won't talk to you for a little while or maybe things will be really difficult but it is going to be costly to live out the call that God has on your life but the chains that were on Paul were a symbol of freedom the chains that Paul was wearing was freedom why because they couldn't take away his freedom here and they couldn't take away his freedom here and so the chains was an illustration that they were the ones in bondage and he was the one that was free. And he said to the who's who of his time, I would like that you would be as I. Knowing Jesus, loving Jesus and believing Jesus without these chains, of course. There's a story from Shawshank Redemption. I, I, have you, anybody seen the movie Shawshank Redemption? Great movie. Let's all watch it tonight and talk about it next week for our sermon. Okay. It's a wonderful movie. So, uh, Andy Andy Dufresne is uh, a man who's in prison, and he's in prison wrongfully uh, for a double homicide. Uh, He's probably, perhaps, the only person in the prison that's innocent at this time. Uh, Great movie. Morgan Freeman plays a wonderful co-character, and uh, just a, a brilliant story. And so. Um, Andy Dufresne is a brilliant accountant, and he makes his way up into the upper echelons of the prison. Uh, so the warden begins to trust him to like, do his own taxes, and, uh, and, and then Andy also finds all the corruption that's taken place in the prison. And so it's really important that this guy never gets out, because we're all going to be locked up if he does. So anyway, he, is, uh, he, he he's, finds himself in the office of the warden one day, and the record player's there. And the records are there. And his jailer is in the bathroom. So he locks the door to the bathroom. And then he locks the door to the office. And then he pulls out Mozart and he puts it on the record player. And then he sees the PA system that's there for everybody to hear. And so he takes the microphone to the PA system and he puts it by the record player. And so in the whole prison, they're hearing the words of Mozart. And it's just this sweet and serene scene of freedom to those who are in bondage. And he is sucking up every last minute of it as he's sitting at the warden's chair behind the warden's desk and everybody is gunning for him to beat the heck out of him and put him in solitary confinement. So they finally do. They get in the door and then they put him in solitary confinement and after two weeks, he goes and he has lunch with his friends and they say to him, well, how was it? He said, Easiest two weeks I've ever done. He said, really? He said, yeah, how did you get through it? He said, I had Mozart with me. I said, Mozart, really? They let you bring the record player down there? He said, no, I got it here, and I got it in here. And then after saying that, uh, he says, that's the beauty of music. They can't take that from you. Haven't you ever felt that way about music? And his friend Red, who's played by Morgan Freeman, says... I played a mean harmonica as a younger man lost interest in it though didn't make much sense in here he said and here's where it makes the most sense you need it so you don't forget red says forget he says forget that there are places in this world that aren't made out of stone and there's something inside that they can't get to that they can't touch said so that's yours The irony of that day is that he was a freed man, even though he was behind the prison doors. And the irony of the the apostle Paul shows us even greater reality. Because he has Christ, he's free. And there's nothing else he needs to pursue greater than that. And so he could look at these people with compassion and care And tell them without fear that their hope must be in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And like it says in Romans chapter 8 verses 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's good news. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When my dad met Jesus in the heavenly place which we all one day meet him there was no fear of condemnation for him why? because those chains the chains of this world were off and the only thing that he had that mattered to give an account for his life was the perfect and satisfying work of Jesus Christ And nothing could take that from Him. No one could take that from Him. And the only thing that was acceptable to a holy and righteous God is the holy righteousness of His Son that stood in our place for our sin, for the glory of God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So church, listen, live out your call. God wants to use you in a powerful way. My question to you is, are you willing? Maybe you need to come to a place of conversion. That means your life surrendering to Jesus saying, Jesus, I have not been living as you are Lord. And I need to live right now saying that you are Lord. And I've And I surrender to you. You are my savior. You are my hope. You are my forgiver. Maybe that's your step right now. Take that step. Take communion with us. Take the broken body and shed blood for forgiveness of our sins. And rejoice because it is finished for you. You are saved by the person Jesus. Maybe today it's, man, I'm just getting this whole thing backwards. I'm making my calling about me when it belongs to him to you i say you are not your own you've been bought with the price so live for god live for god call on the holy spirit ask your community group to help you come alongside the believers and say let's do this together let's live in in the realm of our day in orlando florida and let's allow god to transform it by the power of the gospel for the glory of god and let's sit in the privileged place of saying god you can use me and know that he will in a powerful way. Let's worship God together. Father, we thank you. We thank you. You are a good gift. And we respond to you, God, because the greatest gift ever is the gift of Jesus. And as we take communion, Lord, we do so remembering that you died for us, but your death wasn't final. It was the gateway to a resurrection. And that resurrection, God, is one that we bank all our life on, saying that where you are, we will one day be. And Lord, we can't wait to be with you.